right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We are entering into our final section of the Gospel of John. So you remember, we, about more than a year ago, decided to go through the Gospel of John together with the sole purpose of meeting Jesus, getting to know him better. And as we've been getting to know him through the first three sections of John, we, we've gotten to know more and more about him and his love for us, but we've gotten to know more and more about ourselves and even about those who are rejecting him. So now we're entering into this last section. So this covers chapter 18 through 21. And this is, everybody should know, the section that deals with what? His arrest, his prosecution, his crucifixion, his burial, and his what? His resurrection. That's what we see here in these last four chapters that we're going to look at here. And with this, we're going to learn more and more about Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, John 18. Now, I'm, I'm really excited about these next few weeks because you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, it's just a crucifixion story, George, and the resurrection. I know about that. I've been taught that for years. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you, as I was looking at this, and especially today as I was looking at today's passage that we're going to look at, I realized that all of us need to go deeper. What do you mean we need to go deeper? Well, here's I've got two points. There is a tendency to think that we know everything about Jesus. So there's this tendency to think that we know everything about him. That's especially true for me because I have studied, devoted my education towards the study of the scripture and so forth. That's true for all of us, whether we were raised in church and We've done Bible studies and Sunday school and listened to messages or whatever, or Christian radio. And uh, we basically have this concept that when it comes to understanding the events of what happens, his betrayal in the garden, his being, having several, in one evening, several, quote, trials, and then, of course, the whole rejection of Jerusalem and then being crucified and then being buried and, of course, the events of the resurrection, we, we can get to the place where even if we're reading in our devotional time through God's Word, we can kind of think, and I, it's happened with me, like, well, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to read this today, but I, I, I already got it down. I already know. I mean, I could probably tell you what's going to happen. I, I could probably bring in all four Gospels and tell you what each one is doing. And, and we have this tendency to think we already know it. We already know everything. Yeah, but we don't. So I was reading a, a book here recently where the author was describing that your knowledge of Jesus is like being on the ocean and seeing an iceberg. And you see the tip of the iceberg coming through the water 
And you know that beneath it is there's so much more. And, and, and what you know about Jesus is that tip that's above the water. There's so much more to him that you don't know. And, and that's going to come out today. So like we understand, we're going to look today about Jesus being betrayed in the garden. So we know G Judas came up, kissed him. Of course, we know that Peter's reacting and cutting things off and Jesus is healing. And we, so we know all of that. Yeah, but let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. In fact, that's my second point. The cross of Jesus requires us to delve deeper into who he is. Because Jesus is facing a crisis. I mean, this is a crisis, right? You, you're being faced with being arrested and then ultimately being tried and then executed and then buried. This, this is a crisis. And so I think it really behooves us to to take some time and go a little bit deeper and understand him a little bit more. And that has, can I be honest with you, when you see how he reacts to this, that has implications for you and I in our everyday lives. That has implications for how he's working in your situation with what you're facing and what you can know about him in the midst of it. So let's look at the scripture together. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Now again, I'm going to tell you, this is John's gospel. So there are some things in this passage. You'll know the story. But John doesn't include those in his story. He's going to include what he wants you to see. Because he wants you to see something about Jesus. So let's look at verse 1. It'll be up on the screen as well if you want to read with us there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often, often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Let me read that again. Armed detachment, torches, lights, swords. Who are you coming for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. John tells us that they were drawn back and what? fell to the ground. Okay, let's go on. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I've told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have not lost. 
I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? All right, folks, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at these verses, and I'm just going to put it in one section, and that's where we're going to spend our time today. And that is that Jesus is above the crisis. He's facing a crisis. If you don't think this is a crisis, how about a platoon of soldiers, fully armed, showing up at your house, wanting to arrest you? That would be a crisis, right? You'd be like, what's going on? And you'd be frantic. You might do some things you shouldn't do or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, it's a crisis. But what we're going to see here about Jesus is, the crisis isn't the one who's in control. What you're going to see as we delve deeper is, somebody else is in control. So let's look at this together. First thing I want you to notice is, Let's talk about the crisis for a moment. It's normal for a crisis to exert control over our lives. It's normal for a crisis to exert control over your life. So what I want you to do, I want you to, for a moment, think about the last crisis you went through. Maybe it was something at work, maybe it was something in your family, maybe some kind of financial thing, or, or like what's happened here recently in the, uh, the Cannon household as we had one of our vehicles that we were counting on just get totaled because of a buck. Welcome to Pennsylvania, right? Okay. You know, and so that's created a crisis. What are we going to do now? How are we going to do this? Where are we going to look for? Because it's a different market right now. It's not like cars are falling out of the air. Okay. What do we do? So there's a crisis. And what happens is that crisis, whatever you're facing or have faced, if you think about it for a moment, they want to exert control over your life, don't they? They want to force you into decisions and force you into actions. And so it's normal for a, a crisis to exert control. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but here's what I want you to see. Jesus will show himself to be in control despite the crisis. Now, what I want you to see here is, is we're not going to look at this passage and say, okay, so here's how I'm supposed to handle the crisis. I'm going to be like Jesus and do like Jesus in the crisis. Uh, no, you can't be like Jesus. He's not doing this so you have an example to follow as you face your crisis. The purpose of him showing this is, is so that you understand the Jesus who's with you. And the reality is, is that he is in a crisis, but the reality is, is he's above the crisis. And that will actually be comforting to you. Because as you're in the midst of the crisis and it's trying to exert control in your life, the reality is, is that you have Jesus who's what? Above the crisis. Who's above it. He, he will be in control despite of the crisis, even when you are not in control. And sometimes we're not in control. But he is. 
So here we are, we've got a crisis. Crisis tend to, to want to be in control, but Jesus is above it. So how is he above it? Well, I think it's interesting. If you look with me, I think it's really interesting here. Look with me, first of all, at verse 4 through 6. This is the first thing that just blows you away. Therefore, knowing all things, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him. So first of all, he knows what's going on. So he's not caught by surprise, okay? For, so Jesus isn't, what's happening here? The arrest, the trials, the crucifixion, the burial, all of that, let's just go ahead and realize that he's not caught by surprise by any of that. He's not like, oh, oh, Father, I didn't know this was going to happen. No, no, he knows what's going on. So here it is. Therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward, he goes out and meets them and says to them, who are you seeking? Who are you coming for? Who do you want? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus said to them, I am he. Now that seems like a very simple statement, but can I be honest with you? Do you remember when Moses was at the burning bush? And he's just been told by God to go and free his children Israel from what? from the Egyptians, and, and Moses is given all these excuses as to why he can't do it. And then finally he says, well, they're not going to believe me that I've come from you. Who do I tell them sent me? And, and God reveals himself in Exodus. You tell them, I am who I am sent you. I am is the name of God. So when they come for Jesus, they're like, who are you here for? Oh, well, we're here for Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. He's proclaiming himself, his identity. And guess what? I mean, this is what blows you away. Look with me, verse 6. And when he said that to him, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They're like blown away by who he says he is. Folks, he reveals himself as deity, as God. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus will show him, excuse me, his identity overwhelms his oppressors. His identity overwhelms his oppressors. I think that's so important for us. What, what do you mean so important for us? Listen to me. The Jesus that you follow is just not a meek little baby in a manger. The Jesus that you follow is not just the one who was with the children, as I've seen the pictures in Sunday school, Jesus with the children, or Jesus with the lamb around his shoulder as he's walking back as he went after the one who left and left the other 99. This, this isn't the Jesus who just raises people from the dead. It is. But here's what I want you to see. This Jesus is God. And as he's God, if you really understand who he is, you are what? Blown away. How do I know that? Everybody who meets God and who he is ends up on their face. John, guy who wrote this gospel, 
He wrote so impressed by Jesus and the fact that Jesus loved him. When he's writing this gospel, he doesn't even refer to himself. He can't write down, I, John. He just says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you remember seeing that statement in the gospel? You go over to Revelation. That same John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's, man, fast forward about 50 years. He's in exile because of a Roman emperor. And he has a vision of Jesus high and lifted up in all of his glory. That's what chapter 1 of Revelation is. And what does he do? He falls on his face as dead before the glorified Jesus. This is the guy who said in his gospel, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. But the reality is, is when he sees Jesus for who he is, he is what? Blown away. So he's above the crisis. He's above your crisis. He's above his crisis. He's in control. This is the reality of who he is. Let's go on. Let's talk a little bit more about what he says here. It's, it's interesting to me. So here he's got this. I mean, think about it. All right, let's put, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You're up there with your buddies. You're hanging out under some olive trees, you know, and they're falling asleep and and you're praying, and all of a sudden you see this group coming up with their torches, they got their swords, they're coming for you. What are you thinking about? What you're having for lunch the next day? I mean, what are you thinking about during, I mean, you're thinking about, why are these dudes here? How am I going to get myself, if it's you and I, we're thinking, how am I going to get myself out of this trouble? Is there a way out of here? I, we're, 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 we're thinking about ourselves and what's going on. We're thinking about the crisis. That's not Jesus. Because look with me at verse 7. Here's what he says. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he, therefore if you seek me, let these go their way. Verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Do you want to know who he's thinking about? Others. Here's my point. He continues to intercede for his own. Think about that. He continues to intercede for his own. So here he is. He's in this crisis situation. Here's how in control he is. He's, he's just knocked them down by identifying himself as God to them. And he says, who are you looking for? Oh, you're looking for me? These people can go. He's thinking about them and their well-being. Hey, can I be honest with you? That, that's God because it's me. I'm going through a crisis. I'm telling you right now, the only person George think about in a crisis is himself. Maybe my family. But me, my feelings, my, my whatever, I'm thinking about me. I sure am not going to be thinking about you because that's not natural. But Jesus, he's above the crisis. 
And he's worried about how the crisis is going to affect who? Them. Do you understand? In fact, by the way, we already know that, right? Because we've already seen through the Gospels that he's been what? Praying for them, interceding for them, preparing them for what's coming. And so he's just continuing on here with the reality that he continues to intercede for his own. But here's what happens. So let's get back to the reality of crisis, right? Look with me at verse 10. You got to love Peter. Here's what Peter does. Some of us are like Peter. Here's what he does. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So just when you think it's our, first of all, a detachment of soldiers, they all got their swords or whatever. I mean, these are trained people to do battle, okay? They're showing up, they're coming for you. Jesus has already said, all right, you want me? These, let these go. He's, he's thinking for them, let them go. Here's what Peter does. Remember Jesus, I told you I'd die for you. Whack. Is he helping the problem? No. What's going on? Well, the crisis seeks to take back control. The crisis is seeking to take back control. Because here, let me explain something to you about a crisis. <laughs> we have a tendency to, to think that the crisis is the problem that we're facing. Yes, that's true. But the crisis is more than just the problem that you're facing. It's the reaction of everybody involved. Now, do you understand? So it isn't just that he's got a detachment of soldiers that's creating this crisis. He's now got the crisis wanting to be, expand itself in other ways by his right-hand guy, Peter, deciding, I'm going to take care of this myself with my sword. And here, the crisis wants to re-exert itself. Isn't that what happens? Think about it. When you're going through, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, part of the big problem right now in this crisis that we're facing trying to replace the vehicle is me and others. But me, what do you mean? I know what kind of vehicle I'd like to get, or I think I know what kind of vehicle, or I'm in delusional phase of thinking we can do this. And that adds to the problem, right? And so the crisis becomes bigger now because we've got more pressures coming up, but the pressures, the source of the pressure isn't just that we got a car problem. The pressures are coming from how I am, what? Reacting to the car problem. The crisis wants to take control again. So here's Jesus. He's not just facing that he's going to go to death. He's got people who are with him who are reacting and what? Chopping people's ears off. Some poor guy named Malchus. You probably wonder, how does, how does John know that the guy's name is Malchus? Well, we're going to see a little bit later 
that John has the ability to enter into the courtyard of the high priest because he knows the family. So obviously he would know who the high priest's servant is, right? He probably knows Malchus. So then that really brings us to verse 11, which is where I want you and I to find our rest in as we go deeper with Jesus. What is it? Look with me. Verse 11, he says this. It's going to be interesting here when you look at it. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? All right, stop for a moment. I want you to notice what John left out. They may notice what John left out. The other gospels talk about it. When Peter whacks off that servant's ear, what did the other gospels tell you that Jesus did? Yeah, he healed the ear. John doesn't mention that here. Because that's not what John wants you to see. John wants you to see Jesus. And he wants you to see something about Jesus in the midst of the crisis that is important for you and I to see. And here's what it is. Jesus stays above the crisis by resting in the Father's, his Father's plan. He's, he's above the crisis. Why? Because he's guided not by the circumstances of what's going on around him. He's guided by what? What his father wants him to do because of the cup the father has given him to drink. That, that's really a statement. That, that's a statement of the course that he's supposed to take in life. And that's where Jesus is. Okay so, okay, so where are we at with this, George? Where, where are we going with this? Where, where do we go with this? Well, okay, here's what we're doing. Remember, we're, we're, we're looking at the Gospel of John because we want to know him. We want to get to know him better, more than just a superficial, oh, I love Jesus. We want to know him because we do face life. We do face crises that happen. They come out of nowhere. We do face them but we love Jesus. And yet when we're in the crisis, one of our biggest complaints is, where are you, God? Do you know what's going on with me? Yeah, he knows what's going on with you. But the question is, is do you realize that he's bigger than your crisis? Because even with the crisis that he faced, John tells you that he was mightier than the crisis. He showed himself mighty. Why? From the very beginning, he knew what he was going to face. From the very beginning, identifies himself to the point that he knocks people down by speaking his name. To the point that he's interceding for others, caring for them in face of, spite of what they're facing. To the point where he's like, I'm not letting this get out of control. We're doing what, God's father, what my father wants me to do. That's who Jesus is. That's who your Jesus is. That's who you should be resting in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is in him. That's the solid foundation. Or as the psalmist says, the strong tower that I run into. That's where you find peace. So that when Paul says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which sir 
surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's above it. He is above it. So when he says, I am he, that's who he is, God. And that's your Savior. So rest in him. Let me pray for you.